Good morning, and we welcome to the program once again State Senator Jean Lysing. Good morning to you, Senator. How are you doing this morning? Oh, good morning. Uh, great. You know, had a wonderful Christmas, and I hope every, all your listeners did as well. And uh, getting ready for uh, the next session of the legislature, which will start on January the 9th, but, but doing some other things uh, before that. So good, good, busy time. Indeed. And, of course, uh, uh, last week and, uh, you know, leading up to Christmas, uh, first off, the uh, the Drainage Task Force uh, met uh, once again at the uh, State House uh, last Wednesday. And uh, what can you uh, kind of tell us about that as far as uh, how things are proceeding there? Well, <clears throat> the reason for the Drainage Task Force, uh, it came about as a bill that I filed last year and passed. So it was Senate Bill 85 because I was getting a lot of constituent complaints about what they felt was overreached by the State Department of Natural Resources, perhaps overreaching um, the local soil and water uh, districts. And so as a result, um, I filed this bill, and and a drainage task force has been set up, and um, there are members of the Senate and members of the House from both parties. And then as well as um, the governor makes appointees from like one person from the DNR, one person from uh, IDEM, one person from soil and water at the state level. And, and um, so, uh, the Surveyors Association, the Agricultural Associations, the Farm Managers, anyway, so it's a diverse uh, task force or committee, some would refer to it as, but we're trying to figure out why we're getting all these complaints. And um, so we had uh, last week at the meeting, uh, David Knight, the uh, director of the Division of Water at the Department of Natural Resources, explain their mapping. And we had the um, uh, assistant commissioner of the Department of Environmental Management um, uh, talk about their uh, things that that they're working on, and then also we had the um, person that was actually the chair of the wetlands task force last year, kind of go over that. And we had somebody by the name of Trevor Laries, uh, director of the division of uh, soil conservation at the uh, department of ag uh, we had him talk about the indiana conservation partnership about what is going on proactively to uh, save ground and promote um you know good things for the environment the biggest issue tom is that um agriculture people for one are <clears throat> have started to realize that there are now two sets of floodplain maps one is the federal set of maps that under FEMA that everybody has known about for years if you fell into one of those federally designated floodplains. But in 2019, the state decided to also um, start uh, for their own set of maps that in addition to the federal map. And I say those to me seem more restrictive and uh, I can tell you the, the gentleman that presented at the meeting 
said, Senator, you're not correct. They're more protective. So he was looking at it as protecting. I was looking at it as being more restrictive and taking away the rights maybe of the property owners in a lot of respect. So we are trying to get to the bottom of this. Uh, it started out that those maps were were actually just through rulemaking, but last year in their agency bill, they, they got some language in there that makes them um, valid under state law. So we're going to be reviewing that this session and seeing if that's really appropriate. Uh, you know, it's not that all of us don't want to preserve our good agricultural ground as well as, you know, just plain everybody's property that they own. But, uh, you know, things that have come up that are simple but sound crazy to a lot of people is if, you're, if your property is along a small stream or creek and there's a big rain and a tree gets knocked down, but the root ball isn't completely out of the ground, then <clears throat> you can cut the tree off, but you're not allowed to remove the root ball under the current law. And so we think that that's probably, and not maybe the wisest decision uh, by the DNR, because then people have to mow around the root ball or mow over it and and shred the stump, you know, with their uh, bush hog. It just doesn't make sense. So. We're going to try to to rein in a little bit uh, what seems excessive. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Now, this task force, um, it's a two-year task force. So now we'll meet in 2023 three times, this entire group. And uh, then we'll make uh, recommendations to, for the 2024 uh, legislative session. So on these things that are more complicated, it takes a while uh, we can't just have a five-minute discussion and say, oh, let's fix this, because uh, we, as I've said many times, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are some good things that the DNR has put in place, obviously, and we don't want to destroy those while we're trying to fix things that we think are maybe over the top. So anyway, that's kind of it on that, Tom, for now, and we probably won't meet again it may not be until May after the regular uh, long session ends because our session of the legislature will go from uh, January 9th through the end of April, and that's going to tie up uh, the legislators uh, so they're not very free for other meetings. So we'll see, uh, and I'll certainly let everybody know. Uh, we've been inviting people to come to the meetings that we've had so far at the task force so they can express their concerns their personal experiences, and uh, I think that's good. It's a good way for people to uh, let us know what they think, not just what we are hearing or what we think. So anyway, looking forward to trying to fix that uh, that problem to make it more reasonable. All right, and then with that, we're going to go ahead and take a quick time out, and we'll continue our conversation with State Senator Jean Lysing as we talk about uh, another event that she attended uh, before Christmas and also with a uh, look ahead of the uh, legislative session that's coming up in January. And we'll have more with Senator Lysing right after this. Don't adjust your radio. The sound that you hear is your stomach. You're having trouble focusing. You can't recall your last meal. You're trapped in the hunger zone. The solution, Batesville to go. 
Let To-Go deliver a hot, fresh meal to your home or office whenever hunger strikes. To-Go delivers the best food from local restaurants. Visit us online at togodelivers.com or call us at 812-727-8800. Bakesville To-Go, big city convenience, small town taste. And welcome back as we continue our conversation with State Senator Gene Lysing. And uh, recently, uh, Senator Lysing had a chance to visit South Ripley Elementary to learn about a uh, really a neat program that they've got in their moderate education classroom. Right. Uh, I was totally not aware of this, uh, but it is a, um, it's a great uh, help, I would say, for kids that are autistic, Kids that are on the lower end of the, what they call the spectrum uh, with lower IQs, uh, but they're in a regular classroom. And I guess the first thing that I want to say is we all ought to be giving our, our schools credit for what they're doing with students or children that come to them that have a lot more challenges than our average um, that we think about. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that I uh, met some children there um, in their uh, moderate program, is what they referred to it as. Um, You know, there were two little guys that came to South Ripley Elementary with no verbal skills at all. They could not speak. And uh, and then they were also... uh, frankly, not body trained. So the challenge that the school teachers, the special ed teachers have, is amazing to me. And I think every one of them should um, be blessed for what they're doing because I think it's very, very difficult work. Uh, Actually, they, uh, through being very um, proactive, uh, South Ripley applied for a grant for some robots that assist in, uh, especially I would say, in teaching the verbal skills to these students that couldn't really speak before. Um, and uh, they, they had two robots there at South Ripley. One they referred to as Milo and the other Carver, I believe. And um, those robots interact with the kids uh, and uh, can speak. Uh, I saw these two little boys each that I referenced accounting to 10 now out loud with the robot, and uh, it was clear as could be. Um, and so they, for some reason, are responding to these robots that have um, the faces or the heads on the robots are actually, they can smile, they can grimace, they can, they, the faces there look so real. Uh, it, it's hard to, to understand it if you haven't seen one, but it's just absolutely amazing. And, and to watch the kids interact with them, I mean, uh, the robot can ask them if, if they're feeling sad, if they're feeling happy, um, that just just all kinds of things, and so I think the company that has the robots that has a, in a sense, I would say more as a pilot right now, in various schools in Indiana, um, 
and South Ripley is the only one in our region that I'm aware of that has these. I think that there will be more money appropriated for this project, hopefully in this next session. And again, it it's going to help the most challenged kids that reside in Indiana that um, parents at home have not been able to help, you know? And I think that um, that that's going to be uh, a positive because, you know, I think that their goal at South Ripley is to get some of these kids that have come to them, that they will get them in a mainstream classroom uh, to be able to continue their education after a period of time. Now, I, you know, this is a new project. It's only been going on for about a year. So I don't think, you know, they know yet how far they can take these kids, but they can already see great, great success. And, and that is exciting to me. Uh, and to see the smile on the kids' faces when they realize that they're doing uh, what's being asked. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's hard for those of us that have been around kids that aren't as challenged to understand um, the plight of, of the students and of their teachers. So I'm excited to see that, that um, there's something that's going to be able to help those kids, you know. So we'll see. All right, indeed. And, uh, and of course, uh, you mentioned the uh, legislative session, uh, of course, beginning on uh, January 9th and has to be uh, done by the end of April because, after all, this is a budget year. Now, uh, I understand that uh, you are uh, either working on or you have filed uh, some legislation already. And uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, I've actually requested, uh, it's actually a total, I think, of 13 bills that I have requested. Um and now they're being processed, I'll, I'll be able to file them um, probably starting next week. Uh, you know, they have to run through an agency at the state of called LSA or Legislative Services Agency. And, you know, I give them the idea, the initial language that I want included in a bill, and then they are the ones. I'm not an attorney. They are the ones that put it in a legal format and uh, prepare multiple copies that then get filed. And then Senator Bray, the pro tem of the Indiana Senate, will in turn assign those various bills to a committee. And then it'll be my task to uh, convince the committee chairman. For instance, I'll use an example. I have about three education bills. <clears throat> and uh, so then... He will assign those to the Education Committee. I will have to convince the Education Chairman, Senator Jeff Roth, who shares the other half of Franklin County, to give those bills a hearing. And just to give you an example of those bills, um, of course, I would have to always file my cursive writing bill, which has passed the Senate numerous times, but always gets hung up in the House. And... What this means is that currently many of our schools no longer teach any cursive writing. And I know for some people they would say, who uses cursive writing? Well, you know, you probably do every time you sign your name. You probably do if you have to read any kind of documents, even, you know, maybe the letter from grandma that she wrote you or the card. 
And so people that are not taught to write cursive at all, even a little bit of time in second grade maybe, uh, they turn out that they can't even read cursive. And it's, it's causing a problem in the workplace. Um, uh, they're actually, I've had constituents tell me they've had to let people go uh, in their job because they couldn't read cursive and, it, and the job required them to be able to read documents. So anyway, but a, a couple other education bills that I am filing, I'm concerned that, again, that our college enrollment numbers are down in Indiana and our um, completion rate by parents and kids of the FAFSA, which is the document that allows students to qualify for grants, uh, government grants, but also many scholarships are based on the FAFSA, and our participation rate across the state is far uh, below where it should be. As a result, <clears throat> last year there was $65 million worth of federal Pell Grants left on the table that could have gone to Indiana students and their families. And when you think of parents who, who really try to help their kids come up with the funds to go to college, I mean, we need to do a better job at accessing these funds that will be spent. They'll be spent somewhere, but maybe not on Indiana kids, okay? So I think that um, that, that one is certainly one I hope gets movement this year again. Uh, it is supported by the Commission for Higher Ed, and uh, the new commissioner for higher ed in Indiana is Chris Lowry, who happens to reside in Batesville, and uh, he is very interested in, in increasing uh, the participation and the college enrollment. But it's also, and I don't want to say it's just for four-year college, because it's also required uh, for uh, students that are trying to get certificates uh, to um, be uh, qualified to work maybe in trucking or in construction or in health fields that don't require a bachelor's degree. And so um, there's a program called the Workforce Ready Grant that helps kids, again, young students, uh, be able to complete that education needed for their certificates and gives them a far better opportunity for a a better wage than just having their high school diploma. And again, there's so many of these things available, Tom, that people are not aware of. And I think especially those of us that don't live in the Indianapolis media market, I think we, we get slighted because we don't understand that these things are available. The other thing is our middle school age kids and their families of a certain income level can qualify for something called the 21st Century Scholarship Program. <clears throat> and if those kids keep their grades up and they stay free of drugs and any violations of the law, they can get a lot of assistance, uh, pretty much a free ride to some of our state universities. So, and again, it just takes the parents' involvement in getting these kids enrolled in that program in the event that they decide when they finish high school that they want to go on to college. So it's those kind of things that um, I'm trying to work with schools to make sure they're doing everything they can to encourage uh, 
that participation in both of those programs. But, you know, there's, there's so many things we could talk about. And, and perhaps after session gets started, Tom, we could uh, talk about the bills that I have filed that I think are actually going to get hearings. Unlike Washington, D.C., we still use the committee process in Indiana. And in other words, the committee chairman makes a decision on whether or not he wants to give the bill a hearing, whether he thinks it has merit for it to be considered. And then after it passes out of committee, it goes to the full Senate for what's called second reading, where any one of the senators could amend or change the bill. And then it comes back a day or two later for third reading, where each bill would be considered for a yes or no vote. It takes 26 out of the 50 senators to vote yes for a bill to keep moving. If it gets through that process, then it goes over to the House and goes through the same process. In the House, if it passes there, it eventually goes to the governor, where he can either sign it into law, let it become law without his signature, or he can veto it. So legislation in Indiana gets far more scrutiny with hands-on. And even even then, there are things sometimes that slip by because um, maybe we someone didn't read it the way it was drafted or whatever. But overall, in Indiana, I would say we still have a pretty good process that's not as broken as what it sounds like uh, Washington is right now. And I don't mean to be so hard on the guys there, but, you know, when we just heard about the thousands of pages of bill that passed um, just recently in Washington, I mean, I can pretty much guarantee you that every legislator could not have possibly read through that. Their staff, maybe, but not them. So, you know, even at the state level, I am much um, better at knowing what is in each of the bills that go before the committees that I serve on. And this session, I will be chair of the Agriculture Committee, ranking member of Natural Resources. I'm on the Utilities Committee, the Commerce Committee, the Health Committee, and the Education Committee. So I'm on six really busy committees, which will keep me hopping just to know detail in those bills that we're considering at the committee level. And then you say, well, what about all the others? Well, then we have to kind of rely on other senators that we know uh, they have the expertise. And, for instance, for me, I have to rely on individuals who maybe are attorneys and when it's a judiciary or a corrections bill. And I will select a senator that I respect a lot and say, okay, explain to me in common English exactly what are we trying to do in this bill. And, and so that helps um, as we move through the process. But it is a, it's an interesting a process that, as I said, is going to start January 9th. It'll continue through the end of April. The, uh, we'll be there in session Monday through Thursday every week. And then um, Fridays and Saturdays we're back in the district. Um, my district has all our parts of seven counties, so sometimes our our Chamber of Commerces have breakfast or lunches where we can update people on what's going on at the legislature, which I think is helpful to individuals who are actively engaged. And um, anyway, it's a busy time, So, but a good thing for the state of Indiana. 
All right. Well, uh, Senator Gene Lysing, uh, do look forward to uh, speaking with you uh, throughout the uh, legislative session uh, coming up starting January 9th uh, through the end of April. And again, we appreciate your time, uh, continued uh, success, uh, stay well, and we look forward to talking to you uh, once again uh, once session gets started. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you for taking the time to care about what's going on in state government, because I do believe it's very important for uh, your listeners, my constituents, to know what we're doing or not doing. So thank you very much.